Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, this is Duffy Dixon with Business Radio X. Thanks for joining us. Let me introduce Ben Sawyer. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group. He has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience and a strong record of accomplishment. That includes guided strategy deployment. Also joining us is Jennifer Strahan. She is the president of Business Optimization Services. Jennifer is partnered with more than 100 health systems and businesses across the U.S., helping them, as well as Ben does, transform their strategic, administrative, and clinical operations. Our guest this week is Dr. Chuck Peck. He is the CEO of Piedmont Athens Regional Medical Center. And before that, he, of course, was a physician specializing in rheumatology. He was also the managing director at Navigant, and you've been in consulting, Chuck, for 20 years now. Correct. And it is a very changing industry. You have partnered with Soar Vision Group, and I know that talking about hospitals and talking about healthcare centers and strategy, it's really changing, isn't it? It is. So, Dixie... Um, Duffy. Sorry, Dixie, Duffy, <laughs> whatever your name is. So, what what is going on is... We love you, Duffy. We do love you, Duffy. That's Thank all you. right. I'm not I'm um, offended. What is going on in healthcare is there's a move from uh, volume-based care, which means basically that a health system charges for whatever they do for you, to value-based care, which means they get a set amount of money for your care, whatever that needs to be, and therefore they're incentivized to make sure that you are staying well and healthy and, and not utilizing services, which is, of course much better for the consumer. Right. So that transition is largely referred to as consumerism. And uh, we, in collaboration with the Baldridge, are uh, initiating a healthcare CEO innovation council to discuss that very topic. So this is all CEOs in healthcare getting together to brainstorm and learn and share. Correct. And we're doing a limited more intimate setting, so it's going to be limited to 20 CEOs. It will be held in Chicago at the Kimpton Gray Hotel, which is a great setting, uh, October 18th and 19th. And the keynote is Dr. Morton Hansen, who just wrote the book uh, Great at Work. He was the co-author of Jim Collins in the book Great by Choice, very well-known uh, book, and, and both authors are amazing. Um, Dr. Hansen is a professor at University of California, Berkeley, and has agreed to to lead, kick this off as a keynote. My co-host, so I'm co-hosting it with um, Dr. Roger Spoolman. Dr. Uh, Spoolman is the uh, Senior Vice President of Strategic and Operational Integration for Trinity Health, and he's the interim CEO at Loyola University Medical Center in Chicago. So we will be facilitating a discussion. Dr. Peck is, is going to be a part of that, one of the 20 that will be participating. And so what we wanted to do is invite Dr. Peck on the show and just talk to him a little bit about this whole topic, which is performance excellence in the age of consumerism for healthcare is a different thing. So talk to us a little bit about that in terms of kind of the history leading up to that and what are some of the significant things 
the healthcare CEOs need to be aware of when they're uh, strategically guiding their organizations in the direction of performance excellence and consumerism versus volume. Sure. Uh, so there's, a, I think there's a couple of just very basic issues that everybody understands. So the first is that uh, historically healthcare has not been transparent. What do I mean by that? Um, what I mean by that is that uh, 10, 20 years ago, even, you could probably go on the web to buy a set of new tires for your car, and you would know exactly what those tires were going to cost, and you could make a decision based on how much you wanted to spend on which of those tires right. you wanted to it's purchase. It's a commodity. Correct. So you could, it's yeah. a commodity, right. A tire is a tire is a tire. Right. Um, it's almost impossible, even today, to prior to going in, say, for an elective surgery or prior to going, say, in for a regular doctor's visit or prior to going in, say, to the laboratory to have your blood drawn, uh, it's still very, very difficult to know in advance what are those services going to cost. And so I think to me, to me consumerism in healthcare means that um, – that patients, and by the way, the difference. What's the difference between a patient and a consumer? So you're you're probably a consumer when you're not sick, um, and you become a patient when you are sick. Right. Um, and the reason I think that's it sort of sounds simple, but it's important, right? So let's just let's pretend for a second. You're you're in your front yard. Uh, you're 64 years old. You're digging up a tree. You get severe pain in your chest. You think you're having a heart attack. The ambulance comes. You're really not going to ask that ambulance driver, well, is the emergency room at X hospital more expensive than the emergency right. room at right. Y right. hospital? That is right. not a right. time to do that, price that, So you're not really a consumer at that point. You're a patient, right? Right. right. Um, but in, this, in today's world, people are very much consumers in every facet of their life. Right. And I think with the millennials and um, even my kids who are in their 30s, they want the information and make an intelligent decision, and that goes for healthcare. Right. Um, it's not just about the pay. It's just not not about the cost either. They want access, right. so they want to get on their iPad and they want to have a virtual visit because their ear aches and they're sitting in their home and it's eleven o'clock at night. Right, and that's just the way it is. It's it's sort of immediate gratification. They want connection and they want to have the assistance that they need, and they want it to be at a reasonable price. Right, and it's a part of their lifestyle. Correct. And it's also, in consumerism, a recognition that's a big part of our budget. Correct. Right, so so healthcare has classically been quite expensive. Correct. And in consumerism, what they're trying to do is get their hands around how do we stay well and healthy and also uh, be able to manage it in our budget. Yeah, so it's interesting that you bring that up because when you think about healthcare, it is expensive. So it's not as easy to just shop around because you're talking about you know extreme impact on a, a personal financial budget. So for instance, for years we've been shifting to high deductible health plans, which essentially brings more cost to the consumer or to the patient to be able to have to pay for that burden. But what's interesting about it is it's not as transparent. It's not like you can go online in Expedia and you can ultimately look at what's my hotel, what's my round trip airfare, what's my car going to be for a rental, and you can look at the entire bundle of services and we can't really do that as easily in healthcare. So what's ironic about it is we're shifting the cost to consumers through things like high deductible health care or high, de high deductibles, but we're not necessarily giving the Them knowledge control. and information and control to be so, able to really make so smart So let's decisions. talk about that a little bit, Dr. Peck. So there's this thing called a charge master 
that every hospital has and every physician has some version of that. How transparent actually is that to the consumer? And if not, why not? So it's not just that it's not transparent to the consumer. Um, I would bet that if you walked into 95% or more of the hospitals in the United States or around the world today and asked the people in the finance department what something cost actually costs, not what they charge for it, they would not be able to give you the answer. Wow. Right. Right. So, you know, it, again, historically, healthcare has been very behind in technology. That goes for basic things like cost accounting systems. Right. right. Most businesses have cost accounting systems. If they buy a product from a vendor that services them, they know exactly what that costs. Precisely. In healthcare, that's always been very squishy. Um, it's it's the lack of transparency exists between hospitals and vendors and implant manufacturers and pharmaceutical companies. Every bit as much as it does between the consumer or the patient and say the hospital or the doctor's office. And that's true even for the insurance company Correct. because they have case rate uh, contracts typically with healthcare systems, which again is another layer between. Uh, the charge master and what is actually going to be reflected in a premium. Correct. And, right. and just to break this down for our listeners, when you're talking about a charge master, this is essentially what's the charge that we have for all of the services across our organization, right? Right. And then again, just to add another layer of complexity, that varies. So depending on what insurance you have, whether you're a government payer through like Medicare or, um, or VA care or whatever the case is, or if it's Medicaid or if it's Blue Cross Blue Shield, everyone has a different payment that they will have, they'll right. be responsible for, right? So, and there's also regional considerations, I mean, true. based on demographics and so forth. So, so it the financial picture is complicated, and as you point out, Dr. Peck, it's not even necessarily known at a hospital level. So if consumerism at its essence is transparency, and the transparency is so a consumer who's not a patient can make good decisions. How do we get from there to here? So, you know, I, I and I also just want to I just want to add one more thing. It's not just about the cost. It's about right. the quality, right? right? Yes. So if you're really going to talk about value, you're talking, in my mind, you're talking about the, uh, the best possible quality product or outcome right. at the best cost, not the lowest cost, right. the best cost. Right. And everybody has a different definition of what that value is, right? Right. right. So again, going back to the car metaphor, um, you know, you may want to buy a Jaguar and that Jaguar might cost $80,000. Um, you might also, though, look at a Chevy Malibu that costs $20,000. It's up to you to decide which of those you think brings you more value. Right. There's really very little way to do that in healthcare. However, there is some progress being made. So for instance, um, there's an organization that covers a large swath of Pennsylvania called Geisinger Health System. Yep. And uh, they were really pioneers in really looking at consumerism in the way we're talking about it. Right. So several years ago, um, what they did was they started offering a guarantee um, for patients who came in for bypass surgery and for hip surgery. And what that guarantee said was that if you have your surger surgery done at Geisinger, that if anything occurs untoward in the first 90 days after your surgery, you can come back and we will take care of you and it will not cost you anything more right. than that original upfront cost, by the way, that they also told you. 
So it was a package price. Right. Uh, they gave you a cost for the procedure, and that included everything. And if you weren't happy, meaning something happened, you had a complication, that you know, you could come back and they would take care of anything within 90 days. Right. Some of that now has gone to the point of being, you know, forever. So if you have something done in some places and you're at some point something breaks, um, you have a lifetime guarantee. Wow. Um, a lot of businesses are now doing something very similar. Right. So are. businesses are actually telling their employees that if they have a particular condition, they only want them to go to the best quality right. and cost organization for, for that condition in the country. It's less expensive for that company to put that employee on an airplane in Atlanta, say, fly them and their family to Cleveland or San Francisco or New York, wherever that particular specialist is that has the highest quality, lowest cost, um, have them taken care of there and flown back than it is to have them go to a less high quality, higher cost provider nearby in the community where their outcome's not going to be nearly as good, right. where they may have complications, and where the cost of that care may be significantly higher. So that creates a whole interesting dynamic yeah. in healthcare um, because you're not just competing then with other providers in the same zip code. You actually are competing not just nationally, but in many cases internationally. There's a lot of international providers that are doing the same thing right. and just incorporating the international travel into their cost. Well, it's a global market in it's anything, market. right? And so it's healthcare is always slow to catch up, mm -hmm. but they're they're catching up. But the, it goes back and it begs the question, if you're talking about consumerism and what brings value to the customer, how many patients really want to pick up and leave and go across the country when it's something that's a severe surgery or procedure? It's fun to think about, oh, you get a little bit of a vacation, but in reality, that's not really what you're enjoying so it does start to bring the question is is it really it's better for the companies and they've realized that because it might be a little bit more expensive but your quality over time is going to be a lower cost for chronic or longer term conditions but how do we standardize that how do we start to bring that same concept even to local community hospitals or across the board for different different regions right and that's the right that's absolutely the right um, question is how does it come down to the individual? Because what we've been talking about is employers who might be self-funded and therefore they have a lot of buying power and choices and they can do benefit plan design that allows them to do this kind of thing where the individual, John and Sally, let's right. say, that are trying to figure out their choices locally don't have the same kind so of option. So businesses have decided the strategy for them to employ is to continue to increase the deductible on the individual to right. a level such that it's so high that for all intents and purposes that individual is like somebody without insurance right okay mm -hmm. that's the solution that's been selected but the real problem is still that the consumer by and large is what i would call disintermediated yep. from the transaction right. right so if i go into macy's and i see a beautiful 200 dollars sweater up on the shelf and i go to the checkout line and I put it down and they scan it and say that'll be $200 and I say something like well I've really only got $20 in my pocket I'm going to give you the 20 and if you bill the other $180 to my insurance company they'll pick up the tab <laughs> and that's essentially what happens right. in healthcare. I right. go in for an MRI scan the cost of that MRI scan may be $1000 right I'm only paying out of my pocket whatever my deductible or out of pocket is. Right. Maybe that's a fraction of the thousand. 
I think that MRI scan only cost the fraction, right. when in fact somebody's paying the difference between what I gave at the moment and what the actual cost is, and that's the insurance company. Do I right. really know what that is? No, no, right. because I have no idea in most cases what the MRI scan really actually costs. Right. And I think keeping the consumer ignorant mm-hmm. is the difference between what we're trying to accomplish getting there or not getting there, we've got to educate the consumer. The consumer will make the right decision if they have the information. Right. The hope from a lot of uh, insurers, uh, implant makers, drug companies, are, is, the, is the hope that the consumer doesn't care because they think, quote, unquote, the insurance is going to cover it. Right. In the past, that was the case, but now the insurance is covering less and less and less and less. Right. The consumer is much more involved in wanting to know what the actual cost right. is. So the higher deductibles and co-pays are definitely having that impact on consumers, and they're making a lot different choices of, around elective procedures and cases and, and so forth. Now, there's a whole nother phenomenon going on in consumerism, and that is the uh, introduction of big business into healthcare. So Walmart is getting mm-hmm. into the into it. Um, Walgreens and all the other pharmacy chains have been getting into it. Talk to us a little bit about that and it and sort vertical of that. Integration. Yeah, the vertical integration and that sort of impact on consumerism for the consumer. Yeah, I've, I've always thought all those moves are rather ironic because for years we've been talking about one of the biggest problems in healthcare that it's increasing the cost is the fragmentation. Right. So what do I mean by fragmentation? You go to see your primary care doctor. He puts you on certain blood pressure medicine. He then refers you to another doctor, say an orthopedist, because your leg is bothering you, hurting you. The orthopedist doesn't know what medicines you're on. The orthopedist may not even know because you don't tell them who your doctor is. The orthopedist may not know that you told your other doctor that you were allergic to three different medicines. There's no coordination or communication between the orthopedic doctor and the primary care doctor. So now we add additional fragments in the chain. So it's Saturday night, it's eight o'clock, my baby is screaming with a fever and a sore throat. I call my pediatrician, the office isn't open, nobody's on call, what do I do? I go to the Walgreens store to see the nurse practitioner. I'm not a chronic patient there. They don't know me from Adam. I bring my baby. They treat my baby. I'm very, very happy. I follow up with my pediatrician. That pediatrician may or may not know right. what happened at Walgreens. Right. If you, if you just take that down the entire chain all the way from potentially starting out at Walgreens and ending up in an emergency room or in an operating room or Lord knows what, and expecting all those different pieces to be communicating and understanding what's really going on, it's really impossible. So, you know, when when a different business takes a different piece of the pie and fragments, breaks up the care of you over a period of time into multiple pieces, the more pieces there are, the more risk there is to your health. Right. So there's a really good video that listeners can Google or pull up on YouTube, and it's it's a little bit older. I think it was created in 2009, so right on the, the brink of reform for healthcare. And it's called If Air Travel Worked Like Healthcare. And it's five six minute video um but it's really interesting because it relates exactly what you're talking about the fragmentation that we see in air travel and now you again just to think about you can go on you can look at expedia or whatever priceline whatever website you so desire and it'll give you a cross comparison of every single airline 
what the price is for the round trip ticket. And the funny thing about the video is it talks about it's not breaking up an extra fee for your, your luggage or an extra fee for the fuel or, you know, it's not going to take you only to uh, one part of your destination because a specialist handles the other part. But that's what we do in healthcare. So it's really, it's a quick video. It's worth the watch because it puts a light air um, on, on something that's very relatable. Right. So let's now switch topics to performance excellence in the age of consumerism. We've talked about the complexity of consumerism, the fact that it's not a complete picture. There's a lot of opportunism that's going on when people are trying, organizations are wanting to get into the mix. There's higher deductibles and co-pays and so forth. So if you're a health system and you're faced with all of these plays and big business getting in and other providers from all over the country and world coming in and, and essentially, you know, taking your patients out, your, your, your customers out of your area. How do you adjust to that? What are some of the key characteristics that need to happen to have good performance excellence? Like being able to be nimble, being able to be clear. What, give us a sense so of that. So in our, in our organization, and when I say our, I've been there four years, so I can't speak to anything before that, but... Um, so we like to talk about um, striving for perfection and hoping that we get to excellence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing every day. We're trying to strive for perfection, knowing that nobody's perfect. But if we just shoot for that, we'll get to excellence. Because being okay in healthcare is not good enough. Right. Right. Uh, nobody wants to go to a hospital that's okay. Right. Nobody wants to go to a cardiac surgeon that's okay. Right. So we have to strive for being perfect. Right. Um, and so I think, but I don't think the business principles, quite honestly, Ben, have changed at least since I've been in the workforce. Um, so I've always believed in a couple of things. First of all, the two most important things to be successful in, in business or medicine is thought discipline and a really, really intense focus on a few things that yep. you be, just become obsessed about, yes. mm-hmm. as Morton Hansen would say. Ed, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And so it, the way we turned our organization around um, – pretty dramatically is focusing on three things and I'll give you the three and then I'll let you uh, either one of you guess which one was the top priority so the, f- the, f- the first thing was to be the in the top 10 percent of all the health systems in the country in quality and safety the second was to be fiscally accountable and responsible and the third was to be in the top 10 percent of all of the press Ganey employee engagement scores um, of all healthcare systems in the United States. So, uh, just a quick connection for our listeners to the organizational hierarchy of needs. Right. Because what Dr. Peck just went through was colleague engagement, organizational effectiveness, which actually has to do with, with quality and mm-hmm. safety, and then financial viability, which is the, the financial piece. So, again, that is why we talk about the organizational hierarchy of needs. It is absolutely related. Right. And what, if anyone has listened to this show before, you know what we're going to tell you right to do right now, www.leaderdialogue.com, and you will see that hierarchy of needs, and then you follow along, the ones you just mentioned. Right. So this is a perfect example of a very capable leader who is saying, based on our organizational hierarchy of needs, what did I need to focus on to be actually, actually be able to be best mm-hmm. in class in my community? 
I'll let you go first. What What do you think is the top choice? So I have two, but I think that my guess is going to be your press gainy. So looking at your patient satisfaction, my assumption behind that is that if you focus on satisfaction, that you have to be doing well with quality and safety, although that's probably not necessarily true because sometimes we relate an experience and we don't necessarily know from a quality and safety standpoint if what we're doing is accurate because that may not be our area of expertise. But the finances always follow good care. Yes. So to me, finance comes. If you do the right thing, fiscal responsibility comes. But So what's the answer? That's my guess. Well, you haven't given me your answer yet. Oh, I agree with her, actually. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, I do too. I, I, and I, I know think, nothing about the healthcare industry as you okay, do. Okay, okay. Well, that makes sense that you well, talk good, about good customers try. first. You went good quality and try. <laughs> okay. So there's an interesting book title out there that I that is blasphemy in the healthcare space, especially coming out of a doctor's mouth. But uh, the title of the book is The Patient Comes Second. Okay. And the reason that the title of that book is true is because, um, in my opinion, unless you have an engaged workforce that really really wants to be there doing what they're doing for patients it's almost impossible to have quality safety and patient satisfaction and you'll never get to financial stability so colleague engagement so we took we took our organization which was hurting very badly over a three-year period from the second percentile nationally now i'm going to repeat that the second percentile nationally. The only lower score than that is the first percentile. <laughs> I'm just making sure you guys, I know you're in healthcare, you're a little slow, uh, to the 65th percentile Amazing. over three years. And Amazing. At the, if, you follow the, if you follow the lines following that line from the bottom left to the upper right, the uh, $60 million financial turnaround and the quality and safety score, 85% improvement, all parallel that employee engagement, employee value line. Right. So it was sort of an interesting experiment because I'd always believed in it. Um, And as a consultant, I was always telling people that this was the way you needed to do it. And, of course, Mm -hmm. nobody believed me. Um, So I said, well, I'm I'm the CEO now. I can do whatever I want, right? (laughs) So we're going to try this. And sure enough, there's no question in my mind that – if that you get your employees engaged and all yep. focused on the on the three things we called them, you know, wigs, wildly important goals, and we have them on our badges. And anybody who works at my place, you can get on the elevator, and I guarantee you, the lowest paid worker will be able to tell you at least a couple of them. That focus and discipline and understanding three priorities, not thirteen, not right. forty-three. That's right. what does it. Right. So we often say that every organization has a playbook or a strategy, but execution is the challenge, and the, the lowest common denominator is the fact that research shows only 5% of workers understand how their job relates to the strategy. So you rightly zeroed in on that and made sure that people understood their value and how what they did contributed to the, the organization's success. There's another variable I want to point out in a minute, but go ahead. Jennifer. I was just going to mention and to underscore the fact that if you look at our hierarchy of needs, the um, employee engagement is the foundation of it our is. hierarchy. So it really is essential for everything to build on top of it. It makes sense. If your employees aren't engaged, as you said, you can't have customer satisfaction. That is the, our very first show. When mm-hmm. you said that, that how few employees understand the strategy of what their bosses want and how they play a role in it. It's empowering your employees. And I don't know why that isn't, it's, it, it, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do, 
But I know as being a lifelong employee in one way or another, when you get me to buy in, I, I am on fire to help mm-hmm. you with your task. I see how you benefit and how I benefit. Right. So Dr. Morton Hansen in his book, Great at Work, describes seven practices. And the very first practice is do less than obsess. Mm-hmm. which means you select a tiny set of priorities and make huge efforts in those. That sounds like precisely Correct. what you did. So talk to us a little bit about that. The combination of engaging the people and letting them understand your wigs. Um, and what was the impact on that? Well, I, I think they all uh, – I think if you give people a path to get where they want to go, when at the time – they don't believe they can go anywhere because they've been so mired in a lack of success. Yeah. Um, that if you give them a clear path and focus and then show them the things that they can do in their own individual job. And again, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what the job is. There's, to me, there's no difference in what I do to what the lowest paid worker does. Right. Um, now, there are certain principles that I believe in that help motivate people. So, for instance, the other thing that we did about two years ago was we were one of the first employers in Athens to put everybody at a living wage, and we put everybody at the living wage above Atlanta, not wow. at the living wage of Athens. Wow. And what that did was it helped us recruit um, people who strive for perfection more often than not, right. which then allowed us, again, to have more of an excellence culture. Right. Um, Very but smart. you still have to invest in your people. Mm-hmm. We trained 3,200 employees in culture and accountability. Wow. 3,200. Every employee, not just the managers, not just the SVP. Um, and we actually got them, the employees, to sit, stand in a room around big Post-it notes and develop the cultural attributes they wanted in the organization. So they own it. They own it. Yeah, that's And a what w- they came up with was, was things like speak up, be bold, um, gain trust, help people grow. It, it was, you right. know, and, and we have that on the name tags as well. So right. if, if case they ever forget one, they can, they can look <laughs> down and see. Now that right. obviously you don't get, ever get 100% below the line negative thinking out of the organization. Right. But it's pretty amazing what the organization has been able to do um, under severe stress and growth and you know patient rooms being filled and sicker and sicker and sicker right. people so the capacity to perform right. and do well has you know been a lot greater just right. because people believe they can do it right so you've really recognized that talent and recruitment of people and investing in people is your biggest asset. Correct. So one of the things I really like about this is if you look at the healthcare industry as a whole, it is a highly regulated, very complex and convoluted process because you have multiple payers and all the things we've been talking about. And regardless of that, and the other struggle is when you think about consumerism is you, we as an industry have our one foot in the sand and one foot in the water, so to speak, when you come to value-based versus, versus fee-for-service or volume-based service. But the things you're doing, they can be done regardless. Those are things that you can own and you guys as an organization can take control over. And that's nice because whether it's a business that's in healthcare or any industry, that gives a little bit of perspective around that hierarchy of needs and how what are the things that regardless of the external environment, because they, that is, of course, a factor. What can we do as a business to really drive improvement and the yeah. results? So, so, Jennifer, that's that's so spot on. It's it's more than nice it's critical Mm -hmm. because if an organization is is not able 
to have a effective operating model, which means they're investing in their people, they have priorities and they execute well, they will get blown away by changes. But the only constant is change. So if you have an environment and a structure that is solid and your people are aligned and you can move as one in a nimble fashion, you're in a much better uh, position. So to that end, what concerns you about consumerism in the markets that you're in? And, and what, if anything, are you continuing to work on to really create readiness as it relates to that? So the more information consumers have, the more you have to be able to differentiate yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's not a commodity anymore. Right. right. Um, and so if I'm not a commodity, I never wanted to be a commodity, but because of the way the system worked, as we talked about, I was by default, like every hospital was, um, I need to differentiate myself. So right. how am I going to do that? Um, I think every consumer or patient assumes when they come into a hospital that the quality of the care, and I'm not saying this is true, but I think they, they want to believe that the quality of the care is going to be there. Right. So then you're talking about some of the other things. How was the experience? How did somebody treat me? Did I have a relationship with the people? Did I have a good experience? Was my family treated well? Did they let my kids visit me? Was the parking reasonable? Did I get a bill that I could understand? When I called up and had a question, was somebody nice to me? When they pre-scheduled me to come in and have all my tests done before I came in, were they, were they nice to me? It's all those sorts right. of things that are the consumer experience that really don't have a lot to do with a, literally with the care, the surgery, the right. scan, whatever. I think those are the things that we've been we sort of had a deaf ear to, yeah. Um, because we were healthcare, and right. if you needed healthcare, you weren't going to be asking those questions. Right. If you had chest pain lying out in your yard planting your tree, you weren't asking those questions. Yeah. You were just calling the ambulance. Yeah. Right. Um, I think we have to. I think people people are coming into our backyards. Warren Buffett, Jeff Be Bezos at yeah. Amazon, Walmart, as you were saying, these people aren't healthcare people, but. Right. They think they can do it better than us, and, you know, maybe they can. I think we ought to be kind of nervous because they've done pretty well in their yeah. particular areas of expertise. Right. I think they can bring a lot to the table that right. we haven't even thought about. Right. So one thought that just comes to mind because you mentioned Amazon that's really interesting to me is that they – one of the things that when you look at the leadership style, they have taken risks, whereas they've recognized we are going to implement this new product or new service like Prime. Um, and almost everybody has Amazon Prime, right? And they knew that they were going to lose money initially, but they felt like it was going to be the right thing and it was going to pay off in the end. And I think it, in healthcare, we haven't been that bold. We have, we're very traditional and a lot of the things that we've done even though there's a lot of change there's also a lot of consistency in things around around our bills that go out to have patients have any of your friends things. complained because prime went from 99 to 119 I'm, i did rise. everybody everybody's reaction to me is my god i can't believe they could charge me triple that yeah i could i could save that amount of money just in the shipping yeah. charges okay? right it pays for itself that's right. what value is that's right that's, that's what, what everyone says Every, every household is having this discussion. We just had it, my mm -hmm. husband and I, and we did sort of did some math. We're like, it still pays for it. Right. Right, exactly. So we have got to wrap this up because I know we're getting to the half hour mark. So what I want to do for the listeners, and particularly for hospital leaders that are listening to this, um, this is what the performance excellence in consumerism, roundtables and so forth are all about. How do you differentiate yourself? What are the details that matter? 
And how can you learn from principles like what Dr. Hansen writes about in his book, Great at Work, translate those into both individual and organizational changes so that um, you can execute well in the age of consumerism, you can leverage your IT innovation performance and decrease operating expenses, you can learn how to make sure that when you take an initiative, it cascades all the way down to the people that matter, which are on the front line that are making a, tran a transitional uh, uh, experience change for the consumer. Any other thoughts, Dr. Peck, before we wrap up as it relates to this topic? No, I, I think Jennifer said something, though, that was important, which is you know, we have to get out of our comfort zone. You know, we can't continue to sit there and hope to get every last penny out of the fee-for-service system. Right. We've got to be out front leading the charge into a new way to deliver health care, yes. as opposed to being dragged by Blue Cross and Blue Shield and Aetna and Cigna and Medicare and everybody right. else, the government. We've got to be out there leading with new ideas, opening our heads up, looking at businesses, non-healthcare business, to see how they innovate. Right. We've got to get more and more and more innovative and start getting ahead of the curve instead of being so far behind the curve right. that we just get tromped on and our strategies are good for about 24 right. hours rather than right. 24 months. Lead, so. follow, or get out of the way. Out of the way. <laughs> thank you so much to Dr. Charles Peck, goes by Chuck, and thank you for joining us on Leader Dialogue, presented by Soar Vision Group and the Baldrige Foundation. To hear this episode again or to listen to any one of our previous shows, visit leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben, Jennifer, and our producers, Mike and Trey, thanks for listening. I'm Duffy Dixon with Business Radio X. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank you.